What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? What is going on? What is the latest and greatest? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's feeling well, doing fantastic, getting their week off to a great start as it's the final Monday of February. That's right. What that means is that March is not only right around the corner, that means spring is just going to follow right behind. And considering we've had this warm stretch here in the Northeast over the last few days, can't put those snow jackets away, the gloves, the hats, all that, because as we all know, old man winter could rear its ugly head here in the Northeast and we'll have snow, and we'll have arctic blasts, and as much as we want to entertain spring into our existence, we have to be patient. So live day by day, people. Enjoy this day. And with that being said, let's kick off some sports talk as you come to the right place, as this is the J-Reels Podcast with yours truly. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to what it is that I have to say about the wonderful world of sports. And for those who have been banging with me for now, 115 episodes, I welcome you guys back. Again, it's a Monday, February the 24th in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. That's right. What to expect here over the course of the next hour to produce a very good show for you is as follows. College basketball finally had its chaotic week. Top seeds going down left and right, including the big one on Saturday down in Waco, Texas between Kansas and Baylor. What that means now as March Madness is just that much more closer. We're now less than three weeks away from Selection Sunday, so we'll touch on all the college basketball later on. Alexander Ovechkin finally gets his 700th goal. What that means, not only just for the Capitals, but for him, and obviously to try to get to the top of the rankings there as a one, Wayne Gretzky, a record that a lot of people thought would never, ever be touched. Is it possible that the great eight could actually reach the great one? We'll touch on that later on in the podcast. As far as baseball is concerned, there is Mike Fires. Remember that guy? The guy who not only has been criticized, but also praised this week, and at the same time has received death threats. So yes, we're going to have to touch on that a little bit. We're not going to delve too much into the whole cheating scandal, but now that the exhibition season has begun, we'll talk about some news and notes that's happening throughout baseball. We also have the NFL. We have a proposal that the owners have put out where the players right now are on the fence as far as a 17-game schedule is concerned and a whole new playoff format. Lots to shake a stick at here, and it's amazing to think that As I've said last week and even a couple weeks back, when we were going through the sports dead zone where we feel like we have to reach for stuff, yes, we could talk about the games and we could talk about certain matchups and things of that nature, but as far as whether it's off the court, off the field news, off the ice, and to be able to produce that type of show where I could deliver these opinions, my thoughts, etc., usually at this time of the year, you're just kind of waiting to get to Selection Sunday You're deep into an exhibition season as far as baseball is concerned. Obviously, the NBA and NHL will speak for themselves. But here it is, the last Monday in February, and it seems like I've had these podcasts go well over an hour. I've had tons to discuss. I've had tons to dissect. And it's amazing to think that, and thanks to the sports gods up above, that that's been the case, that I haven't been reaching for some stupid hot take or whatever it may be. But with that being said, people, let me entertain you here and get started with the NBA as... The quote-unquote second half begun there on Thursday. I know a lot of people were clamoring for some NBA, especially after the All-Star weekend last week, and you had, what was it, three, almost four days before the season started off again. And pretty much some of the news and notes over the course of the last few days. I know the one thing that kind of went under the radar, and they're a team that certainly nobody's really paying attention to, but when you look at what happened in Cleveland... And I know it's a weird place to start, and I'm only going to spend two minutes on it. Everybody looks at what will happen when a college coach who's had so much success in a one-John beeline, to be able to translate that to the NBA, you don't see a lot of those big-time college coaches 
make that leap, and then stay successful for a long period of time. And in this case with Beeline, he was certainly on his way out, not even a whole full season after signing a five-year contract there whenever it was in the early spring. What does that mean for the grand scheme of things for Cleveland? Obviously, who knows? We all know once LeBron left to L.A., Cleveland was certainly going to be close to basketball Siberia as you could get. But the one thing for sure that a lot of people are going to look at moving forward is can the college coach make that transition to the pros? But as we all know, you either have to start with a program that's certainly at the very bottom, a la Brad Stevens in Boston, or you're going to have to have ready-made players, which is going to be rare to have that college coach come into a situation where it's certainly going to bode well for him, for the organization, and obviously for the team, where they could flourish and move on to bigger and better things. Unfortunately, in the situation with Beeline, it didn't work out that way, obviously because he had no players. All right, people are going to say, well, they had the veteran leadership of a one Kevin Love, but even he showed his frustration throughout the course of the year as far as working with certain players are concerned, showing them up on the court. And the coach, as we all know, had his peccadillos when it comes to calling his players thugs instead of slugs, which he wanted to call them that. And even though he apologized to them right off the bat, certainly didn't waste any time, it wasn't a PR disaster as maybe a lot of the teams or a lot of other situations would have unfolded. But now with Beeline out and J.B. Bickerstaff in, it makes you think that can the college coach be successful in the pros? To me, they would have to have that situation a la Brad Stevens. To come in, clean house, start over, and then work your way up. Because as we've seen right now, the way the Celtics have played, even though with the loss in L.A. yesterday, which we'll get to in a little bit, they're at 39-17, certainly playing well, and obviously have had a lot of players in and out of the lineup. A la Kemba Walker, and obviously early on this year with Gordon Hayward. But over the last few days, some of the other big stories that had taken place, we know about Kyrie Irving, now is going to have surgery on that right shoulder that's been bothering him. He had missed 26 games in a row earlier this season, came back, certainly wasn't able to go. Now Brooklyn should be in good position to make the postseason, but obviously no expectations whatsoever, which, let's face it, if you're a Net fan or if you thought that the Brooklyn Nets could ascend here in the Eastern Conference, we knew that Kevin Durant wasn't going to walk through this door this year. But at the same time, knowing that they had some infusion with the dynamic offensive talents of a one Kyrie Irving, people thought the Nets could actually maybe win around or make some moves here in the Eastern Conference. And as of the 2019-2020 season to date, I don't think that's going to happen. So that's a tough blow. I'm sure all the Net fans, I don't know if they've checked out completely, but I'm sure they're just hoping that the season ends. Whatever they do in the postseason will be gravy. And then let's rally the troops over the summer, make some tweaks here and there on the roster, and then have a go at it for the 2020-2021 season when you have healthy Durant, healthy Kyrie, and whomever else is going to be on the team at that time. Joel Embiid came out again with some comments. Now, we all know Embiid has been a sore spot on this show as far as his behavior is concerned, and not only that, but even more importantly, his play. Because as we've seen time and time again, his inconsistencies show, especially in the bigger spots and the bigger moments. When you look at what happened in Milwaukee there on Saturday, they get blown out. He scores 17 points in 29 minutes on 18 shots. And Embiid, we all know he's an all-world talent, but he hasn't been able to put that consistently. And then, of course, when you look at what's in between his ears, that's another thing where the combination certainly does not bode well when you have a player that could certainly night in and night out could just dominate 
on any level, no matter who's guarding him, no matter who's matched up against him, etc. But that's been one of the frustrating things about this team this year, the Sixers, that is, is because they haven't seemed to be, be able to put it all together when it really matters, and who knows? They could still be dangerous come April, May, and June, but we're not there yet. We're still in February, and Embiid, who wants to self-proclaim him to be the best player in the world, well, okay, we know he's one of the top players in the league. We know he's an all-star, certainly one of the top 15 as far as you're going to look at the NBA all-pro, all-league type player that he is. But let's see it consistently. Let's not see it on a Thursday night against the Brooklyn Nets who are undermanned. And that's not to be an apologist for the Nets. But we need to see this night in, night out. How about having that 39-16 and 16 against Giannis there on Saturday, even if it was a losing effort, instead of going 5-for-18? Because as we've seen time and time again, and as you listen to this podcast, and you know you could take all the receipts on me, just go back into the library as far as what I've said about whether it's certain players or in this particular case with Embiid. You certainly have to look at the whole back of the basketball card, not only just for the points and the rebounds and assists, which are going to look pretty, but you got to see where they come from. Because he could beat up on the Charlottes of the world, he could beat up on the Washington Wizards of the world, and he could beat up on the good teams at home, whether it's the Clippers and the Sixers have had a great season at home. They've only lost two games, but they've been terrible on the road. He has not shown up in these big games, whether it was the zero-point effort in Toronto, his first game back earlier this year from the... Game 7, dagger of Kawhi Leonard in the postseason last year. The 1-4-11 in Boston that Saturday night a few weeks back. And then you want to look at this effort against the Bucks. I mean, if this is a guy that's going to say he's the best player in the world, well, he's going to have to show it. And not just when he feels like it, not when it's a big game at home. He's going to have to do it all the time. Is he allowed to have bad games or is he going to have bad games? Of course. But at the same time, don't come out and say that you're the best player and you stink up the joint with efforts like you did there in Milwaukee on Saturday night. That's not going to cut it. And we all know he wants to tweet again and be the tough guy, and Embiid's not a tough guy. Come on. So anyway, I want to get off Embiid. Let's move on. Also, you have here the big game yesterday between the Celtics and Lakers. As we all know, the biggest rivalry in the NBA, and it's weird because in this day and age, you rarely have that East-West Rivalry. Now, we all know that it goes back decades upon decades. But to think they had a game yesterday that certainly went down to the wire, tooth and nail, back and forth. Jason Tatum, who has been flourishing throughout this year. Remember, he had that tough sophomore year last year. But yesterday, although the Lakers did a great job on him in the second half, but Tatum, who had 41 points yesterday and is going to be a force to be reckoned with here in the league for years to come, if Tatum plays the way he did yesterday against the Lakers, he is going to be unstoppable. Because with him and his game, his length, he needs to get to the free throw line. When he attacks the basket, of course, we know this league is going to be from the perimeter, a lot of threes, but when he's able to mix up that game the way he was able to yesterday, that's what the Celtics want to see in their fans because that's a guy that could certainly take over a game and be that guy that's going to carry them to a title, maybe not this year, but somewhere down the road. And we understand the Lakers doubled him, and they made sure that he wasn't going to take the big shot there in the second half. But kudos to Tatum and what he's done with his game to elevate this year, knowing that he's coming off that rough sophomore year that he had last year. And the Celtics, who didn't have Kemba Walker, who's been out with a knee issue, with what Brad Stevens has been able to do here with this team, we all know, we've talked about in the past, with no Kyrie, not having that type of cloud in the locker room, so to speak. 
And you could only hope that if they're able to make a deep run in this postseason, they're going to have to have a guy like Tatum to be the one that's going to carry the mail. Yes, you have the veterans in Kemba and also Gordon Hayward, who had a very good first half in the game yesterday but disappeared in the second half. And when you have, you always have to have that one guy that's going to make the key shot. And we know Kemba could do it. We understand Hayward's going to do it. But the guy's going to be here for a long period of time. And the one who's going to be the face of this organization moving forward is going to be number zero. So let's see how Tatum is going to continue to perform here throughout the second half as they try to inch that much closer to a two-seed in Toronto. The Lakers, on the other hand, when you look at their team, now they're going to bring in Markeith Morris, the brother of Marcus Morris, of course, as everybody knows, the Twins, who was traded to the Clippers there a couple weeks ago. And with Markeith Morris, I don't know what he's going to provide or what he's going to add to this team. I understand it's another body. I understand it's a bruiser, one who's going to pretty much be in the trenches, which is great for them. But the Lakers right now, as how everything is constituted today, they look like they're going to cruise to a one seed as they have a five-game lead on Denver right now. Pretty much when you look at the Lakers on a whole, you're looking at this team, obviously, big picture, who knows about load management, but I could see as you get toward the end of the season, as they may have a seven-game lead, eight-game lead, you could see a lot of the minutes starting to wear off on a one LeBron James, maybe to a certain extent Anthony Davis to avoid any type of injuries because Davis has had an injury history in the past and who was dominant. He had a couple of big threes there in the fourth quarter at 32-13 and 13 for the game. The key point of the game at 110-109 as LeBron was taking the second free throw, misses it, the ball goes out of bounds. A lot of people thought maybe the Celtics would get the ball, but of course the Lakers end up getting the ball. And then you had LeBron with that fadeaway there from the right block to make it 111-110, and then that propelled the Lakers to go on and win yesterday 114-112. Are these two teams going to meet again in June? Right now, I have to say highly unlikely. Would it make for great theater? Absolutely, because of the two teams and their history with one another. But as I said just a couple minutes ago, the Lakers right now are primed to not only get this one seed, but could certainly rest up, recharge, and it's going to work out perfectly for them. Unless they somehow, some way, start to slip here, Denver moves up, or even maybe the Clippers. Now, of course, you want to have the Clippers in that 2-3 zone as far as the Western Conference is concerned because we want to see a Clippers-Lakers conference championship, which has never happened in the history of the sport. And it would certainly make for a fascinating storyline considering that the Lakers are who they are and then the Clippers, who've never been to an NBA final. Let's see how this all shakes down. As we go to the standings, and I'll start out west and work my way up to the east. The Lakers, like I've mentioned a couple times here, five-game lead on Denver as of right now. And they actually had a makeup game, speaking of Lakers-Clippers. April 9th is the makeup game, which was the Tuesday after the death of Kobe Bryant. And I'll get to him in a little bit. So that makeup game will be right at the last week of the season where both teams will be in town. So they'll be able to make up that game. What was that? I guess January the 26th. They weren't able to play that. So for those who are wondering when that matchup was going to take place, well, there you go. So you have L.A. 43-12, and 12, Denver 39-18, and 18, one and a half games back, or the Clippers at 37-19, and 19, and the Clippers, let's see what they're going to have. We all know that they're going to be the team with load management, especially with Kawhi Leonard. I'm sure that they're going to want to be in that 2-3 slot. They're only a game ahead of the Rockets, where they are 36-20, and 20, followed by Utah, also with the same record. And then you have OKC Dallas-Memphis with Portland, who 
Carmelo had a resurgence there last night who had his best scoring output in three years. Let's see how much they could carry them, although they're 25-32 and 32 and three games back of the eighth seed in Memphis. And then New Orleans, who, of course, has played pretty well here. And they've inched a little bit closer as they're three and a half games back. Remember, a couple weeks ago, they were five and a half back. So let's see if they could keep themselves in the mix here for an eighth seed, as I'm sure the NBA would do cartwheels. No offense to Memphis and John Morant. Now they're going to lose Jaron Jackson for a little bit, which is a key member of that young core down in Memphis. But I'm sure the NBA wants to see Brandon Ingram, obviously Zion Williamson and company, be a part of that eight seed to go up against the Lakers. And obviously the big storyline there would be Anthony Davis against his former team. But that's obviously for April, and we're six weeks away from that. But the middle of that Western Conference is going to be a Royal Rumble to find out who's going to avoid the Lakers in a second round. Because if you're the Clippers or the Nuggets, you kind of want to stay there. Maybe you could flip-flop. I don't know if they're going to... Well, they won't say publicly that they're going to concede to be a two or three seed. They're going to try to push for that one. But the Clippers and Nuggets, you would think if they stay right there, it's just going to be a matter of who's going to end up in that 4-5 slot. Will it be Houston? Will it be Utah? Will the Clippers fall back if they don't stay in that 2-3 range? Because all those teams, even if you want to go down to Dallas, 2-7 through are separated by five games. And then, of course, when you're looking at 3, 4, and 5, They're all separated by one game. So that's going to be the one thing. Not only who's going to be the 4-5 seed to go up against LeBron in the second round, but also who ends up being there is going to be critical. And then in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks have become the first team to clinch a playoff spot this early for the first time in 15 years. And think about that. The Bucks, who have had a phenomenal season, and of course they have to back it up with a big postseason, including an NBA final. Anything short of that would be a disaster. Now, they have to go out and win this conference. There's no ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. They're going to be the odds-on favorite to win. And we've talked about how close they were last year, and they fell short after being up two love to the Toronto Raptors in the conference finals. Well, this year, there are no excuses. And pretty much similar to what we've talked about out west, it's what's going to happen in the middle of this conference in the east as to what will take place moving on down the road. Now, Toronto and Boston right now, They are in pretty good position, a little bit better than the 2-3 in the West, where Toronto, they've certainly continued to play at an amazing clip as far as winning all these games. Remember, they won 15 in a row before they lost to the Nets prior to the All-Star break. Well, they've won two in a row coming out of the break. And then the Celtics, despite the loss yesterday, and they're on a West Coast trip as it is, they are now three games ahead of the Miami Heat for the fourth slot in the Eastern Conference. Then you have Philadelphia. Indiana, Brooklyn, and Orlando. We can forget about the bottom part of the bracket where it's 7 and 8, but when you're looking at 3 through 6 right now, because Toronto looks like they're going to be entrenched in the 2, I don't think they're going to fall anywhere further than that. Maybe they'll go to 3, but right now they have a a 5.5 game lead on the Heat, so you think they're going to be entrenched there. Also, the Sixers and Heat, which would be a very interesting first round because the Heat actually had won 3 or 4 games against the Sixers, but that doesn't mean anything come postseason. But they will have the right, if whatever one of those teams, if they're in those two slots, they will go ahead and play the Milwaukee Bucks. But then you have Indiana, who are currently two games behind Philadelphia. Philly, as we all know, could slip, considering they're 9-20 and on the road. And although they have the same amount of 10, yeah, 26-2 at home, so it's not as if they have a big disparity home and away. But the East doesn't look as 
riveting when it comes to the postseason is concerned as far as seeding and where everybody gets slotted, unlike the West. And you can forget about the bottom, like I mentioned, because even if Brooklyn does make it and Orlando, now Orlando currently has a three-and-a-half game lead on the Wizards as well as a five-game lead on the Bulls. So the East, which is going to be super weak at the bottom, and they're going to have no shot in the first round going up against Milwaukee or Toronto if they hang on to the two. The NBA season will continue to trudge along, and obviously we'll follow every step of the way, but that's pretty much an up-to-the-date of what we have here in the NBA. Other news, talking about Kobe Bryant, today is the memorial out in L.A., Staples Center, where you're going to have not only for, of course, Kobe Bryant, but also for his daughter Gianna. And when you look at the symmetry of the date, 22420, it's the number that Gianna wore as a member of her basketball team when she was playing for the Mamba Academy. 24 speaks for itself, the number of Kobe Bryant, and of course the year 20, which was the amount of years that Kobe Bryant was a Laker. So the finality of this whole thing, if you will, coming almost a month after this accident, I believe it will be on Wednesday, the anniversary, just the one-month anniversary of the helicopter crash, the tragedy, as we all know. So today, I guess everybody could say their final goodbyes, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people coming in and out of the Staples Center today to pay their last respects to a one black mamba. All right, now believe it or not, people, I'm not going to turn my attention to the NHL just yet or Major League Baseball or the NFL, what's happening there with the owners and players. We're going to sneak in a little college basketball because when you look back in the middle of the week when Duke got demolished by NC State and obviously Krzyzewski just blew a gasket there in the postgame, who knew that that was going to be the beginning of the end for the top seeds in the country when it comes to Gonzaga, Baylor, Maryland? I mean, you could go down the list. Unbelievable to think that it finally had its one chaotic week, and it's very rare that you had all these teams fall by the wayside. And with Selection Sunday now being less than three weeks away, I mean, what does this mean? It's not going to mean much because all these teams that have lost are certainly going to be a part of the tournament there. But when you see the events from what happened there where NC State just blew the doors off of Duke 88-66 to what happened with Gonzaga losing to BYU where they stormed the court old school style, out there in Utah, San Diego State, and we've talked about them in weeks past where they were undefeated, the last undefeated team in the nation, and we knew that if they were going to run the table, let's say throughout the rest of the regular season and into the conference championship, that that was not going to be a good omen for them because, as we all know, pressure, undefeated seasons. Remember what happened to Kentucky several years ago when they made it all the way to a Final Four before they lost to Wisconsin? So to get this loss out of the way for San Diego State and a loss to UNLV, for them, it's actually going to be a boon because now the pressure is off. They can still go ahead and play their game. Chances are they still may be a one seed when it's all said and done once the tournament begins. But now they certainly could kind of take a deep breath, exhale, go about the rest of their regular season, see what happens in their conference, if they could able to secure a championship, and off they go to the NCAA tournament and see how far they can go. Of course, the big game that was highlighted over the weekend was Baylor and Kansas, number one versus number three. Baylor, who had held the top spot throughout the country for the last five weeks, obviously a big test for them as Kansas went in there, and it was a close game. Obviously, it went down to the final shot there, but Kansas, to me, was in control of the game. Even though Baylor fought hard, scratched and clawed, and made it close to where they had a three-point attempt there that went off the front of the rim, 
You had the big performance there by Oduko Azubuke, who had 23 points, 19 rebounds, and his contribution with a lot of flushes, alley-oops, dunks, and with the likes of Gonzaga losing, obviously Baylor, Kansas will be your consensus number one throughout the country as of today. Now, the rankings have not come out as of yet, which they don't come out until the afternoon, which stinks because here it is first thing early Monday morning as I'm recording this podcast. I'm unable to get the top 10 rankings for you, but we could pretty much... We'll take a look and see for ourselves as I pull this up. We know Kansas is going to be your consensus number one. Followed by, I don't think Dayton could move up to number two. Because right now they're currently at five. But remember with Gonzaga and now Baylor was going to drop down to probably three, four, or five. Also San Diego State. Remember Duke losing. So they may even hover around four or five. Who knows considering the losses of the other teams. And with Maryland losing to Ohio State. You had that go down yesterday, so they were ranked 7th in the country, so you know they're going to take a few hits back, and also Penn State losing to Indiana. You had all this chaos where now you're going to have some teams that are going to move up, whether it's Seton Hall, you would think Louisville, Kentucky, Villanova, Auburn lost early in this week, so they're not going to make any leaps and bounds this week. So by 5 o'clock this afternoon, you're going to see a whole different top 10, which makes it for not only fascinating talk, but it puts a little bit more Pep in the step for college basketball. We know we're not looking at this day-to-day, night-in-night-out. It's not gripping the nation's attention. But when you see some of these top-ranked teams go down, it does raise an eyebrow. It does make you think, all right, well, are these teams now going to hit the skids here a little bit? Now they're all going to make the tournament. It's not as if they're going to fall off to the point where they're not going to make it. But it does bring a little interest and a little intrigue to a sport where we all know it's all about those three weeks in March. And once everybody starts filling out their brackets three weeks from today and all the talk about the tournament and what region got the short end of the stick and what region is loaded, and we'll talk about that in three weeks. But as of right now, at least you have this to chew on if you're a college basketball fan, knowing that you had a little topsy-turvy, a little chaos here with some of these teams, especially the two, three, and four seeds. And let's see where it uh, all falls here over the course of the next 10 hours, and then obviously into the rest of this week as we get closer to conference championship weekend and obviously March Madness, which we'll continue to keep our eyes on. All right, now we'll turn our attention to the ice, and we had a milestone in the NHL as a one Alexander Ovechkin, or as they call him, Ovi, or grade eight, down in the nation's capital. He finally got his 700th goal, which makes him eighth all-time on the NHL goal-scoring list. And with Ovechkin, who got a 699th against the Canadians a few nights earlier, now everybody's thinking with the way he's performed here, not only over the course of his career, but as he's getting late in his career, he's 34 years old. He is 194 goals behind Wayne Gretzky's all-time record of 894. So people are now whispering whether or not Ovechkin could reach the pinnacle, which would be equivalent to the home run record. Now, obviously, it's not as grandiose or it's not as talked about as the home run record if you want to look at it whether it's Barry Bonds as we all know 762 or there may be some that look at the history of Barry Bonds and say "Uh uh-uh Hank Aaron is the all-time home run record in my eyes at 755 now listen we got to go by the book at 762 but to the purist to the traditionalist a lot of people may look at Aaron but in this case Ken can do it he has not missed a game due to injury in almost four years which is amazing to think, coming from a guy that, with him, it's all about his training. It's not even about diet. He says he's worked on diets, and it's 
hasn't been successful, so he trains like a beast. And that's why, and as big as he is and as physical as he plays, that's even a more amazing thing as how he's been able to stay durable throughout all this. But Ovechkin is a guy that certainly has a few more years left. Now, to get to 194 goals, they say that he could possibly break it in the 2023-2024 season. Or if you want to stretch it out another year, if he goes to almost age 40, or I believe 39 when Gretzky was able to finally get his last goal, that would be the 2024-25 season. Listen, there are a lot of games to be played. We don't know how this is all going to shake down. But I would think if Ovechkin does have a goal in mind, you would think it's going to be 802. That means he's one ahead of Gordie Howe. And we all know Gordie Howe is on the Mount Rushmore of the NHL. Now, can Ovechkin get to that? He could certainly score 100 goals here in the next three years. 194, that's going to be a bit of a stretch. That's not to knock Ovechkin's, that's not to say here officially as of today, February 24th, he's not going to do it. Uh-uh, it's impossible. It's going to be very challenging. You know, he's not 31. Obviously, he has a lot of miles on those legs. And despite the fact that he has been durable and has not been injured, we all know it just takes that one injury or that nagging injury for him to not be in the lineup day in and day out. And as we all know, you need to be in the lineup 78 to 80 games a year in order for you to try to reach this record. You're not going to do this in 50, 55 games, and there's no such thing as load management in the NHL. So Ovechkin, I, listen, I would love to see him get close to it. I would love to see him break it. And as Gretzky gracefully said, records are made to be broken. We know he still has a long way to go, but he's been unstoppable. He's been a machine, and as long as he stays that way, he can't see why his record can't be broken. So we understand that's talk for a couple of years down the road, but now that he's made it to 700, we're only seven other players ahead of him have reached that plateau. And now let's see how far he could go. We all know it's about Stanley Cups. We get it at the end of the day. But knowing that he's reached this pantheon of goal scorers, it is an achievement that must be commended. And when you look throughout the league, the trade deadline, now of course it's early in the morning here, so it's not as if you're going to get an up-to-the-minute or I'm posting this at 5 o'clock, so... And here we are up against the 3 p.m. deadline. But we do have one trade. I don't know how much this is going to be of importance considering the long layoff that he's had and hasn't been in the NHL. And he did come back this year and won Ilya Kovalchuk. He got traded from the Canadians to the Capitals. So to add a little bit more firepower, as we already talked about with Ovechkin, and we all know that they're both brothers being from the same country. So I'm sure that may actually help considering Kovalchuk is looking for that Stanley Cup that he could have once had when he was a member of the Devils back in 2012. Remember, they lost to the Kings that year. So who knows if that's going to be of any boost. You would think it would be. I haven't watched Kovalchuk. I don't know how much he has left in the tank. I don't know how well he's played or what he's done. But we just have to wait and see. Maybe he'll have some renewed energy playing behind Ovechkin. Maybe it'll be a little bit more of a pep of his step, but we've got to wait and see about that. Also, the Leafs made a trade with the Predators. I don't know how big this trade is, acquiring a defenseman, Ben Harper, for forward uh, Mika Solomaki. Now, will the Islanders, as we talked about weeks on end, they traded for Andy Green last week, the Devils defenseman. Will they go out and get some reinforcements as far as offense is concerned? That certainly remains to be seen over the course of the next six and a half hours. And what I'll do, people... For those who are listening to this, follow me on my social media accounts, whether it's on Twitter, JReels1, especially there, to get an up-to-the-minute 
recap of all the trades that may take place here between now and 3 o'clock and, of course, after that. Now, of course, this podcast will probably be posted sometime around lunch, depending on where you're at, certainly here in the East Coast, somewhere around 2 p.m. So if you want to get a little bit more of a hot take from me when it comes to these trades, certainly check me out on my Twitter feed as I'll be able to at least give my thoughts and opinions on these deals as they come through over the course of the afternoon. But uh, you have that going on. The Tampa Bay winning streak was snapped at 11, losing at Vegas, which was big. And we know Tampa's been on a flurry here over the last month and change. Who knows if the Blue Jackets are going to make a deal because we know the Blue Jackets are in a tight race there, not only for the wild card, but trying to get one of those top three seeds in the Metropolitan Division. They've been certainly decimated by injuries as of late. They lost their leading goal scorer, Oliver Bjorkstrand. He has a fractured ankle. He may come back for the playoffs. He's out eight to ten weeks. Who knows how those suckers heal, so we may not even see him again. Not only that, on top of it, they also lost Seth Jones, a defenseman there, for pretty much the same injury. And then they lost Cam Atkinson for a couple weeks just to a sprained ankle. So who knows? The Blue Jackets may be jockeying for position to try to bring in a goal scorer themselves. And remember, the Islanders are certainly going up against them as competition as far as the Metropolitan is concerned. So they certainly have to keep an eye on what they do, but they shouldn't even worry about that. They should worry about themselves and hopefully they could secure. I'm not trying to say they got to get a sniper, but they have to have somebody that's going to put the puck in the net, be clutch, has a bit of a track record, and hopefully not spend a ton in the process. So we'll certainly see with that. Also, the Bruins made a trade. David Backus, remember, he was a guy that was on St. Louis all those years, and he was sent down to the minors, but they actually traded him to Anaheim for Andre Kasha, which the Bruins were certainly happy to get from based on what I read. Now, they gave up Backus in a first-round pick for him, so can they plug him in and see what he could do as far as taking them to bigger heights and hopefully getting the Stanley Cup considering he made it to a Game 7 at home last year. Obviously, that remains to be seen. And as we look through the NHL right now, at the standings, at the very top, Boston has gotten a little bit of separation there with Tampa considering that they were just two points behind them a week ago today. Right now, Tampa, who had lost two in a row after having that big, long winning streak, 85 points for them where Boston's at 90. Toronto who made that trade, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, they're at 72 points, but you feel that they're going to be in decent position only because of the division that they're playing in. Metropolitan, Caps yesterday, they had a game against the Penguins in the NHL game of the week, and they went 5-3 as they leapfrog over the Penguins to get first place in the Metropolitan, so that was a big win for the Caps, and that came off the heels of a loss there on Saturday where Ovechkin got his 700th goal. So the... Penguins there at 80 points, right behind Washington's 82. The Flyers have certainly picked up their game as of late. Now they have the three seed in the Metropolitan. Remember, they were pretty much hovering in that wild card spot where now they've taken over and they become the three seed at 77 points. The Islanders, as we've talked about them already, see what they do before 3 o'clock today. They have the top spot in the wild card at 76 points, followed by Carolina. At 74, and then you have Columbus, who is tied with Carolina at 74. And then the Rangers have come on strong here. Now they're four points behind the final playoff spot there in the wild card race. So now you have a bunch of teams that are bunched up here at the bottom where you didn't really see that weeks ago, although Carolina was hovering around. Of course, we talked about the Flyers and Columbus as well as the Islanders, but now the Rangers have put themselves in the mix as well as the Florida Panthers. Now we're going to have some drama here in the East because I've talked about at end for weeks how the Western Conference was certainly going to be a logjam. 
where right now you have St. Louis still at the top, although Colorado and Dallas are still nipping at their heels. Still both teams playing very well here as of late. So that's going to be a fight to the finish there in the Central. The Pacific, as we've talked about at at end, now Vegas has the top spot. Vancouver had first place in the Pacific two weeks ago. Last week was Edmonton. And remember, they're still missing Connor McDavid. He should be back shortly with that quad. And now Vegas has the top spot at 76 points. As we all know from weeks on end, that could flip-flop. But the Vegas Golden Knights have certainly played well. They've won six in a row. And here they are at the top of the Pacific, followed by Edmonton, Vancouver, and, of course, Calgary and Arizona round out the wild cards. And all five of those seeds there going from Vegas to Arizona are all in the Pacific Division. Now, you still have Winnipeg, one point behind Arizona for the final spot, 69 points to Arizona and Calgary, 70. You also have Nashville at 68, and then Minnesota, 65, and after that, it just falls off. And this is what you want here in the NHL, but the sad thing is is that unlike the NBA, you can have these lower seeds go deep into the postseason, which is fearful for the NHL because no matter how Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the league, slices and dices it, they don't want to see the Arizona Coyotes anywhere near a conference final or a Stanley Cup final. You know, it's not as if the NBA with the likes of Orlando and even Memphis, you know, they're not going to upset Milwaukee or the Lakers or have a deep playoff run. But in hockey, we all know it's a crapshoot. We talk about the hot goalie time and time again. We talk about a team that has a hot goal scorer. And when you have that in the NHL, that could go a long way, especially over the course of a seven-game series. So despite the fact that you're getting a lot of drama here in the NHL and a lot starting to unfold here as we're now, what, about five weeks away from the end of this, now about six weeks from the end of the season. But there's going to be a lot of moving and shaking starting today with the deadline, as I've talked about, and how this is all going to transpire over the next six weeks is going to be fascinating. And obviously we'll keep our eyes on that as we move along here in the days and weeks to come. All right, now let's get into a little baseball right now before we get to the NFL. Even the big heavyweight fight a couple of nights ago between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury before we say goodbye. The baseball exhibition season has begun. We're now two days in. I know everybody's rejoicing. Everybody's feeling great as they kind of smell baseball in the air. And like I said at the top, we're still five plus weeks away from a baseball season beginning. But I'm sure that for the purist, for the guy that's looking ahead to warmer weather, that's looking ahead to walking into that stadium with bright sun and green grass, et cetera, et cetera. We're still a ways away from that. And as much as we want to look forward to that and put behind this nonsense of the cheating scandal down in Houston, the one guy that rocked baseball and brought it to its knees with that report there from The Athletic back in, what was it, early November, Mike Fires, who was a guy that a lot of people thought was a snitch, a la David Ortiz, who had received death threats, whether through social media mostly, and obviously got a lot of praise yesterday if you looked at his first start there when he was pitching out in Arizona. And you wonder the reception that this guy's going to get going two stadiums when he's on the mound. Now, we understand the death threat thing. These keyboard warriors need to stop it. I mean, I don't know why they have to do this. They have to be tough behind a monitor or behind their phones, which is ridiculous. And hopefully something's done about that. I understand you can't police everything and every type of interaction from some of these losers that certainly have nothing else better to do. But fires, you wonder, even with Ortiz making his comments, and does anybody want to hear from David Ortiz? No. We understand he's a former player and possibly a future Hall of Famer. And we won't even get into some of the 
stuff in his background that a lot of people will look at as skeptical. And I like Ortiz as a player, so I'm not trying to pile on him by any stretch. But the thing is, is that when you have a guy that came out and put this for the whole world to listen to and for, to watch everything that's happened here over the course of this winter and obviously the last few weeks, I know it's a looks like a bad thing. It looks like he's ratted out his players or his former team, whatever, but it's been brought to light. And there isn't anything to do about it. Me personally, and I've said this before, for fires to do that, it took a lot of courage and it took a lot of guts. But when you look at the sport now, as bad as everything has looked in Houston, a lot of these teams, whether they were doing it or not, and we all know that there's been this has been going on since the beginning of baseball time, this was possibly the best thing that could have ever happened. And for that, kudos to Mike Fires. I know it's not a good look. I know it doesn't look right. I get that. But could you imagine this could be the fourth year that the Astros are going on cheating if it wasn't because of this scandal and it wasn't because of Fires coming out and saying what he said. And a lot of players have received death threats, whether you're Josh Reddick, even his family was targeted. Which, I mean, these people need to just chill out, man. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how this is all unfolding here. But hopefully the comments and everything, I know the Astros got killed in their first spring training game. That was against the Nationals, ironically, because remember, they both share a complex when it comes to spring training. So the irony there, of course, both teams in the World Series last year, as we all know. But the Astro players, certainly there were signs that had to be taken down that were brought in from fans. And this is going to be fascinating, as I said, people, at the start of this season where the Astros, when they go on the road, I'm not going to say it's a must-see TV, but you're certainly going to pay attention to it because they are the villain right now. And nobody likes them. Nobody wants to hear from them. And we're going to have to wait a few more weeks for that to happen. But right now, it's going to be a long spring for this Astro team to try to get any semblance of normalcy there as far as playing baseball and getting back to basics when it comes to a long season. Now, this sign-stealing scandal was so bad that you even had LeBron James making comments towards Rob Manfred where I get a lot of people going to kill LeBron for that. Now, the only thing I could say to LeBron is that the players' union in baseball is unlike the players' union in NBA. It's night and day. And even though LeBron is right, listen to your players, but as we all know, Rob Manfred doesn't work for the players. He works for the owners. Can he listen to them from afar and kind of address this with the owners as far as things of this nature? Now, nobody thought that this would mushroom and implode the way it has. And although I believe LeBron is half right with that because the players and the owners, in particular Rob Manfred, he should listen to what they have to say because, of course, that's what makes the league go. But as we all know, Manfred, I'm not going to say his hands are tied, but he can only do it so much because the players' union is the strongest one in the world, number one. And number two, he can't be on the player's side because he works for the owners. But all this stuff here now, we could hopefully just look for baseball unless somebody else is going to say something. I know Jonathan Lucroy also was another one that made some comments as far as we know they've been cheating for years. It's like, wait a minute, cheating for years? So if you knew this before, Mike Fires, I mean, what, what is going on? Even Marcakis, you know, want to pound these guys. What was his quote? Yeah, every Astro needs a beating. And it's interesting because although it's way at the end of the year and nobody's going to care by then because it's going to be October, everybody's going to be thinking about postseason baseball. But you kind of wonder, if Verlander's going to tow the rubber down in Atlanta that final series of the year in late September, you wonder if a fastball is going to be coming right at the back of a one Nick Marcakis. 
something to keep that in mind for down the road. But as far as one other news and note, especially if you're a Yankee fan, I know it probably sickens your stomach to know that Paxton, who's going to be on the shelf for three to four months with that back surgery, now Luis Severino, a guy who was out all of last year up until mid-September, is probably looking at an IL stint to start the year with the forearm stiffness. Now, what does that mean overall? We just have to wait and see what the prognosis of this injury is going to be, but they are certainly going to take precaution. They certainly have plenty of time between now and the start of the year, and even if they're going to put them on the IL, probably maybe for a week or two. I know they've changed the rules a little bit when it comes to the IL, especially with pitchers, because it's going to be a true 15-day IL, where in the past, that's what it was. Now I believe it was, what is it, 7-day or 10-day, whatever it is. I think it's 10-day. But for the pitcher, like Severino, he'll miss three starts, so that means 15 days. If you're a Yankee fan, you're probably thinking to yourself, oh, geez, not this again. And remember, this is also coming on the heels of Aaron Judge, who has a bum shoulder, and he had all offseason to deal with. Giancarlo and his injuries of last year, you just don't want a carbon copy of the 2019 season. And if that's the case, you're still going to win a division, you're still going to win over 100 games, and you're going to be in prime position to win a World Series even if your players start dropping like flies. Now, you don't want that two years in a row, of course, but with the way the spring is starting to open up here, you just hope that it's not, uh, here we go again. And that's pretty much it with baseball. Now let's hope to get some games, see how these players develop. I know Cespedes finally said something. I'm not going to get into that. I mean, please. This is, that's neither here nor there. But baseball's now in full swing as far as the game's concerned, so we'll certainly keep our eye on that. With the NFL real quick, I know Breeze wants to make another run, as he said uh, last week. So let's see if the Saints could go marching into a conference championship and Super Bowl for 2020. You had that crazy situation with the Browns left tackle, Greg Robinson, who got caught with 157 pounds of marijuana. I mean, what's up with that? So he's been charged with drug distribution. That's just a bad look. And the NFL can't get out of their own way with these things. I mean, geez, when does it ever stop with these guys? Also, the Combine starts on Thursday. All the players are now ushering into Indianapolis. As you know me, I could care less. To me, it's the most overrated and overhyped event ever. That's just the NFL just trying to draw more attraction to themselves. As they're a 12-month sport, we get that. But to me, what these guys do in the Combine doesn't mean anything. Obviously, it increases or decreases their draft stock depending on how they do and how they perform. But I pay zero attention to this. So if you're looking for... An assessment next Monday, you're going to have to find it elsewhere, guys. I, I don't care if a guy runs a 2-1 in a 40. Will I talk about it? I guess I will because of 2-1, but you get what I'm saying. I'm not going to sit here and say this lineman from Penn State ben, bench pressed 250 pounds 48,000 times. Uh, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Nothing. And now you may have a stalemate between the owners and players when it comes to approving this proposed CBA where the owners have looked at the 17 regular season games, cutting the preseason games to three, and also instituting the seven playoff teams per conference. Now, there was an 11-member NFLPA exec committee on Friday that voted 6-5 to against recommending the new CBA proposal, which is actually pretty close. But now that it's being passed on to the reps, to that board, the 32 player reps of each team, and as of today, it's pretty much split down the middle. I believe they have to have at least three-quarters of the vote or maybe even two-thirds for that matter. Now, you can't get two-thirds into 32, so you have to get three-quarters. So you figure 24 to 32. 
So depending on what the NFL reps of each team have to say could go a long way into a possible stalemate for the new collective bargaining agreement. We know the owners want to add on that extra game, more money, it's going to generate a ton more revenue. And then on top of that, first and foremost, they're going to look at the product as being that much more of a boon financially when it comes to having three wildcard games on Saturday and Sunday to kick off your NFL postseason. But of course, you have the players, and knowing that they have to put their bodies through an extra game, the preseason games are small potatoes because none of the big players or your starters are going to participate fully in the preseason. But you wonder how much of a long battle this could potentially be only because of the 17-game schedule. And to me, they should make it 18 and cut the preseason to two. Because as I said last week, you're going to have one team that's going to have nine home games or they're going to have nine road games. And having that imbalance there, what does that do as far as the product? You're going to have a team that's, what, 11-6? and And it's just uneven, if you ask me. And I get that adding the two games, they probably want to go little by little. They figure that maybe asking for two extra games to have that 18-game season is going to be way too much for the players, and that could be the beginning of the end when it comes to this labor agreement. But to me, adding that one game is just in, puts a whole imbalance on the schedule, home and away. I, I just don't like it. Could this be the beginning of Armageddon? I think it's a little bit early, considering the CBA ends at the end of next year. So they still have time to work this out. But... Just keep in mind, people, that this could be a long, drawn-out fight here between the players and the owners, considering the owners already have the approval of this, and easy for them to say this because they're not putting their bodies at risk. And all they're doing is just creating more money that they continually print day after day, month after month, year after year. So let's see what Demora Smith, the head of the Players Union NFL, what they're going to do as far as the next step and trying to get this negotiation settled. So that's the NFL. And then let me get to the fight there on Saturday night, which I didn't really talk about last week, but you know, the heavyweight title was probably one of the bigger events in all the sports when it comes to being just a focal point of a Saturday night pay-per-view, get your friends together to chip in five bucks to pay at that time when I used to watch the heavyweight fights, 50 bucks. So if you get 10 people over to the house, you'd have them chip in five bucks and away you go. Well, you had a fight of big magnitude there, MGM, Saturday night between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. With the way Wilder, now remember, the first fight was a draw, as we all know, but Wilder, as big as he is, and even Fury is bigger than Wilder, which is just amazing to think about it. Wilder's 6'7", and Fury's 6'9". So you talk about two behemoths in the sport, and we all know the heavyweight class has been an absolute barren wasteland over the years. I don't care. People can talk about Vladimir Klitschko. I don't know. Those fights bored me to tears. So now here you have a situation where you have a very intriguing fight with these two guys, two different personalities, and Fury went in there with a Fury and pounded on Deontay Wilder. That's all there is to it. When you're able to knock him down twice over the course of three rounds, as he did in the third with a shot to the side of the head, And then in the fifth round, with a body shot, that he went crumbling to the canvas. And then in the seventh round, Wilder, I mean, he looked like he was 
even out of shape at one point, but I know he understood he took a lot of blows. And in the seventh round, their corner threw in the towel. And I also understand that, you know, Tyson Fury, he's a clown also. In the sixth round, he's sticking out his tongue trying to lick Deontay Wilder just to try to taste the blood. I, does anybody need to see that? No. But give it up to Fury as he is now the heavyweight champion of the world. Wilder was very good in the post-match press conference. You figure a lot of these times, these guys always looking for excuses. Oh, I was winning or, oh, I was winning the fight. He said that, hey, Fury came and he performed and he did a hell of a job. He made no excuses. He did wish that his corner didn't throw in the towel, which the pride of a fighter, you know, you never want to go out like that. But give it up to Wilder. You know, he certainly didn't point fingers. He certainly didn't say, why me? Oh, come on. They should have let the fight go on. Or, hey, I was winning on all the cards. I would have beaten him. You you hear all that nonsense. Thankfully, that wasn't the take or the case. And who knows if there's going to be a third go around, considering the first one was a draw. Now you have the second one in the books. You figure maybe a third one, only because if Wilder comes back to beat him and then maybe you have a fourth, considering... That will be the tiebreaker, so to speak. The sad part is with the heavyweight division, you got nothing else to look at when it comes to title fights concerned. And I haven't really followed people. Maybe there are some heavyweights on the horizon that could look at, oh, wait, I didn't think about this guy or that guy, whatever. You know, the Anthony Joshua's of the world. and I mean, but if these guys were so good or at the peak of their powers, and we saw Joshua, although he came back against Ruiz after being beaten by him, but now what's left? And I'm certainly going to continue to take a look at this, people. Listen, boxing is a sport that's been way off my radar for so many years, If for those who've listened to this podcast in the past. But when you have a fight of this ilk, whether it's a middleweight, welterweight, or in this case, a heavyweight, you don't have to pay attention. You don't have to be on top of this. And, you know, it wasn't a great fight. Obviously, Fury was winning. Fury not only did what he had to do, but he beat him up pretty well. And kudos for him for doing so. But now, what does he go? where does he go from here? That's where everybody's going to want to pay attention to to see how much he could carry this and how much he could stay at the top of his game knowing that there may be a re- another rematch with Wilder or somebody else that may be coming up, whether it's a Joshua or somebody else in the heavyweight division that I do not have my eye on at the moment. All right, people, and now my hero and zero of the week to wrap this sucker up. My hero of the week is Ryan Newman. Remember, the Daytona 500 was postponed from Sunday to Monday because of the weather, and we all know... That brutal crash there at the end, which thankfully he came out not only alive, but two days later after the hospital where it was on Wednesday with his daughters as he walked out. Now, he did suffer some head injuries, but other than that, nothing internal. But just seeing that picture with his daughters walking out of the hospital, I mean, what could you say? Uh, God was certainly on his side. He could certainly count his blessings from now until the cows come home. So just being able to come back the way he did and his body to certainly be on the mend and for him to just be able to walk out of there, let alone do that. He didn't have to go on a wheelchair, crutches, anything. Right off the bat, he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to Aubrey Huff, the former San Francisco Giant, also played in Tampa Bay. For him not to be a part of the 10-year anniversary of the San Francisco Giants' first championship 10 years ago in San Francisco because of some tweets. Now, I understand this could be back and forth. You could look at the organization as being maybe a little bit sensitive, but for what he put out, Years past, whether it was him shooting guns with his boys, saying that, well, if President Trump is not going to be reelected, I got to get my boys ready. And then not only that, making disparaging comments about Iranian women and kidnapping them. Uh, Listen, that's a no-brainer. That's a layup. 
And even with his comments after that, where Orby Huff saying, oh, now they want to be on this PC political nonsense, and I'm saying that nicely, uh, they could just shove it, that's fine. You know, later for them, I don't need the Giants. All right, well, all right, and hey, he's being honest. You got to give it up to him in that regard. But at the same time, when there's no apology, no acknowledgement or accountability on that, you just have to look at that and say, you're my zero of the week, and that's uh, going to be it as far as that's concerned. And that will do it, people. I'm forever grateful and thankful for you to take your time out of your day, whether you're commuting home, on the treadmill, cooking, cleaning, whatever it may be, to listen to what it is I have to say about the world of sports. So once again, a big up to all you guys out there. I do sincerely appreciate it. And if I could just ask you one little favor on top of that, if you like what you listen to, if you think, ah, Jay Real's a little bit crazy, he's a little, whatever it is, wherever you get your podcast, please feel free to go ahead and leave a rating, post a review, also subscribe, hit that subscribe button, because what that's going to do is just increase the visibility with all the other sports podcasts that are out there, and in the process, we'll just generate and increase the visibility of this podcast with those out there that could possibly be future guests, whether that means former athletes, current athletes, sports writers, bloggers, sportscasters, whatever it may be, because as I look to take this podcast to another level, and mind you people, I'm doing this all by myself. It's a one-man operation. I don't have interns. I don't have marketing people, things of that nature. So, of course, I would love to get your assistance and help to just subscribe, rate, review this podcast, amongst the many others that are out there. And if you want to get in contact with me, if you want to send a question, comment, some criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do that on any of my social media accounts, whether it's on Instagram at jreels, Twitter, jreels1, just a number, the jreels podcast on my fan page on Facebook, or an email at the jreels podcast at gmail.com. Again, people, reach out to me. I'll follow up. I'll certainly write back. Anything that you want to add, anything that you have on your mind, please reach out to me. I'm certainly open to whatever it is that you have to say. And then finally, if you want to contribute to the podcast, whether it's to the production of this podcast, among many other things that I'm trying to do here behind the scenes, you could do so on my Patreon page at www.patreon. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy.com slash the J Rules Podcast. So whether you subscribe, rate, review, contribute to the podcast, whatever you may do, send me an email, question, comment. I'd be forever grateful and thankful for your participation because as you well know, For those who have listened to me in the past or for those listening for the first time, I was born to do this. I've been talking sports my whole life, and it's just great to put out my thoughts, my opinions, to entertain you guys, to talk about everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Rules podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.